So about the time that I'm recording this podcast, the NBA playoffs are happening, soon to be the finals, and eventually we will see who those two teams are that go against one another. Is it going to be a new team, or is it going to be one of the older teams, more of a legacy team, or will we be surprised by somebody in the middle just making a change? One of the things I've loved about basketball over the years, and I've been a part of NBA basketball, uh, I'm not like diehard, I don't stick to all the games, you know, know what's going on all throughout the season, the season's too long for me, but I really start paying attention during the playoffs and the finals. So I've seen Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Kobe, of course, you know, now LeBron, I've seen all of these guys and they are all different and the NBA has taken all sorts of things and just players and and they've changed and morphed in the way they play the game and the personalities and athleticism and shooting and just so many things have changed about the NBA and basketball and whether we like it or not now you know the three-point line really doesn't mean anything they shoot you know three-pointers from half court so like they have to do something about that My point in saying all that is this. Basketball has changed over the years, but one of the things that has not changed is this. The point guard position. Now, a point guard could be a forward if you're a basketball player and you you know all the ins and outs of this, but there's the, the person who dribbles the ball up the court. That person has always been a part of the game. They have to be part of the game. And to be a person who is in the point guard position, you have to be able to pass the ball, sometimes shoot the ball. You definitely have to be able to move with the ball and move without the ball. A person in the NBA right now who does this amazingly well, future Hall of Famer, of course, is Steph Curry. He is someone who who can distribute the ball. He can, of course, you know, shoot from three counties over. He's just he's really changed the game of basketball in that regard. But when he is in the point guard position, the the principles are still the same. You dribble the ball up. He can shoot. He can maybe kick it out to somebody who else can shoot a three-pointer or he can throw it down underneath maybe the you know one of the forwards that somebody's playing center that night they could get a layup or something but you have to move with the ball and you have to move the ball this creates really a great way to illustrate where we're going to go today as i get into first samuel 14 1 and 2 you're going to see that there's several different characters, if you will, who are mentioned in this storyline. We're continuing the storyline that we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. And the people in the storyline, they respond in different ways, and this is what the passage says, and you'll see what I'm talking about. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying there on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. So now, there's two different groups of men. You have Jonathan and his young armor bearer. That's what the passage says. It Specifically, the young armor bearer. And I think that's important. He's just there, not just along for the ride with Jonathan. We're going to see this in the weeks to come. That he's, he's really engaged with Jonathan. And he trusts Jonathan. And the passage says that, that they were together heart and soul. So there's... There's an amazing thing, just amazing connection that you see in that passage. So they make this decision to and make a move. They're saying, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. Again, they're sworn enemies. He says, hey, come, let's go over here, and we're going to take out 
some Philistines. We're going to go whack some Philistines in this outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Verse 2, you see where this other group of people are, a much larger group of people. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. And Saul does not know that Jonathan and the armor-bearer are getting ready to move and, and to take on this Philistine outpost and the soldiers who are there at this outpost. He has no idea. But what we do know is this. Saul is, is posturing himself underneath the pomegranate tree. You can Google what a pomegranate tree looks like. Uh, where I lived in Georgia, they had these pomegranates and pomegranate trees. I didn't care for them myself. But the trees aren't overly large, but they, they have a lot of foliage. They would offer a good amount of shade. So you see Saul, excuse me, is just kicking it under these, this pomegranate tree, probably resting from the sun, just, just hanging out. You know, he's, he doesn't want to get beat down by the sun. He's hanging out under a pomegranate tree of which he can eat the fruit. He doesn't have to do anything. It's like it's just this posture of laziness. And you see Jonathan, son of Saul, so this is Saul's son, obviously, he says to the young armor bearer, he says, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. There was something inside Jonathan and ultimately inside his armor bearer that just could not take sitting still any longer. He knew that he had to make a decision to advance and move. And yet, at the same time, Saul is just kicking it underneath this pomegranate tree with his 600 soldiers. Think about that. Now, Jonathan and his armor bearer, as we will see in the next couple episodes, they're not really prepared. There's only two of them, and they're, they're in, a, in a place where they're outnumbered uh, physically, man-to-man. They're way outnumbered, and the area that they have to go up to requires some mountaineering. So the terrain, just to get to the fight, required some mountain climbing. But the difference is this. They had God on their side. They had God on their side. You know, if we're going to be men who are going to be climbing the, the, the mountain, ascending the mountain of manhood, there are moments in time where it is critical for us to make a move and not to sit just waiting for life to happen around us under our own quote-unquote pomegranate tree, but instead we make a decision with the men around us to say, come, let's go do this thing. We need to go join this. Uh, we need to form an accountability group. We need to have a Bible study. We need to, to get in the Word together. We need to pray together. We need to, we need to serve at church together. We need to join up and, and get a mentor, or we need to be a mentor. And there are times where we just simply need to advance and move and get out from the comfort of our own pomegranate tree. Again, one of my heroes, I mentioned this last week, Theodore Roosevelt, who was a man of action, he said this. He said, get action, do things, be sane, don't fritter away your time, create, act, take a place wherever you are and be somebody, get action. It's really interesting to read this quote, and over the years I've read this quote multiple times. I, I try to keep this quote in front of me because it really inspires me to, to do the thing that I'm supposed to do in that given moment. But, but doing a deep dive into Theodore Roosevelt is an interesting work because what you see is Theodore Roosevelt prescribed to this thing that he called the strenuous life. And the strenuous life was informed by a movement 
that started in the late 1800s called the Muscular Christianity Movement. So all of this, this for Theodore Roosevelt, and I believe he went a little too far on some things, but his idea was the strenuous life. In other words, he says there that even taking this quote in making some application, we have to get action. We have to do things. We have to be sane. We can't fritter away our time. We have to create, act. We have to take a place wherever we are and be somebody and get action. You see, as followers of Jesus, when we start talking about this from a faith perspective, maybe for us we're talking about getting action, and maybe even in you hearing this, you're like, you already know what it is that you're supposed to do, and you've been dragging your feet and dragging your feet. I want to encourage you with a reading of Scripture from Romans 8, 31 through 37. This comes from the Message Translation. This is what it says. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's children or God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. No trouble, no hard times, no hatred, no hunger, no homelessness, no bullying threats, no backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I mean, it's, it's time that we, we take our stand, and we take our steps, and we move, and we take the action that God is inspiring for us to take. There is a time for a man to do something if he wants to ascend the mountain of God. And that something for you will require maybe a little discomfort, maybe a little training, maybe a mentorship, maybe a Bible study. Maybe a, a, a deeper devotional life. Maybe taking some of the spiritual disciplines. Maybe actually opening up the Bible, blowing the dust off the page, and getting to know the God who loves you. What action do you need to take? Move. Act. And let's ascend together.